Everyone has a packet? Looks like this. If we have anybody straggling in, we'll make sure to hook them up with the extra copy or two, but I think we have most everyone that we're expecting, maybe a few extras. Um, we do have a check-in activity as you collect yourself, as you reconnect with each other. I want you to think about a question that you had when you signed up for this session. And I would like for some, if you feel free, write it up on the board, because I think it's really important to know what the expectations are, and important for me to know that we're addressing what you're curious about. Okay? So take a few minutes for that. I'm gonna introduce myself, and while I'm doing that, feel free to get up. You feel free to go to the bathroom. The bathrooms are just to the left. If you haven't been to this campus before, I figured that out right before I set up. And we should be finishing on time, that way you can get to your next session on time as well. This is a workshop format. You're gonna be doing a lot of talking with each other. I've been teaching in classrooms for quite some time, and I believe that the more my students do the work than me, we're creating effective opportunities for learning. So, that said, you are in Crafting Effective Observations. Um, we're going to be talking about documenting learning in early childhood settings, and particularly we're gonna be talking about it from a leadership perspective, because all of us in here are directors or program managers at some level involved in our programs. Excellent. I have usually designed this for teachers specifically, so this is exciting to get to talk at a more leadership level. Teachers are leaders, but we get to really talk about some of those higher concepts about how we want to guide our staff and our programs to really effectively document what's going on, what's important to the ethics of our program, what values do we want to share with families and staff. So by the end of today, we're going to be able to talk about the types of documentation you're already using. Um, we're going to identify the features of high quality documentation. We're going to be able to um, talk about how it's used to communicate meaningfully. We can't document without talking about what we're documenting. That's the whole purpose. It's written communication. It's visual communication. And then we're gonna explore some ways that you can transform what you're already doing and taking it to that next level. This is me, and this is my life. My name's Alana Davis. I have been in early childhood for about 15 years now. Um, by day, I am with uh, one of our regional grant, um, Head Start grantees. I do research and compliance, um, but today I get to be um, one of the Texas Early Childhood Professional Development System Master Trainers. This is what I get to do for fun. I get to step away from my desk and looking at numbers and do that, and that's a little bit of my personal life. I have in the center my mother on the left there and my beautiful almost three-year-old in just about a week, son Ajax, who was helping me make corn muffins a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he is the light of my life, and he keeps me grounded in my current work in early childhood. Every day I get to be a mother and a teacher and um, explore what my professional philosophies are and how I can implement those as a family. Um, I was a farm girl originally. Um, I grew up on a cattle farm, but I have um, some great family friends who are goat farmers, and so I love every opportunity in the spring when they bring their baby goats to market and I get to play. Um, I recently drove across the Southwest and I got to go to Sedona. I love, I love driving through the American Southwest. That was my first visit and I'm going to do it again. So, Sedona was stunning. I was absolutely floored. I was not prepared. Grand Canyon was stunning. And then we went down to Sedona and I was absolutely floored. And so I drank coffee and I just stared at the cliffs and I 
I, I just sat and took in the wonder of God's world, truly. Um, I, um, I foster and I adopt um, retired racing greyhounds. I have a passion for animals. We have a bit of a zoo going on in our house. We have lots of cats and dogs, and outside there are frogs and lizards and every kind of creature. We are very animal-friendly in my house, and I love to work with my hands. As I mentioned, I'm a visual learner. I set up visual spaces so you could be invited in and know where we're working today. Um, I weave, knit, crochet, anything I can craft with my hands, and I love to do Legos with my husband and my son. So we're constantly building, creating, imagining, um, looking at patterns and, and just developing our, our sense of imagination at home. So that's me. I'm very high energy, as you can tell. I get really going, and I'm really happy to be here. I, I was so excited to get the invitation from the Archdiocese to um, present, and I am so glad that I was accepted, and I get to be with you all today. So to help me know you just a little bit as far as age ranges go, um, we'll, we'll do just a little bit of hands. Um, those of you who have infant and toddlers in your program? Sorry. Nearly everybody. Excellent. Threes and fours? Excellent. Um, any of you with programs that are serving kindergartners, first graders, some slightly higher early elementary? Excellent. Very good. So we've got a very broad scope. Wonderful. The next thing I'm going to have you think about is how does your staff view documentation in your program. And kind of think about the most common theme and feedback you hear. I've been a teacher. I've been an administrator. I've been a teacher coach. I've heard them all. I know some, some programs, um, it depends on, on where your staff is at. But do they just view it as putting uh, photos up on display? Um, complex process that takes time, something they do not do or even understand, um, that it involves observation, documentation, interpretation, or um, that it's a useful tool for family and learner engagement. So take a moment for yourself, reflect on the feedback you get from your staff, and then we'll do a, a show of hands here in a minute. So, for your program, photos on display, complex process that takes time, I hear that one a lot, both in a positive and a negative way from my staff, um, something they do not do or understand, do you have staff that struggles with what is documentation and why it's important? Very much, that's why we're here today, I think that staff really struggles about why documentation is important. Um, our staff who involve, know that it involves observation, documentation, interpretation. The longest answer is usually the best answer on any multiple choice exam. Um, I learned that in psychology. <laughs> um, do you feel like you have staff who are keyed in? Who, who, who really kind of, it's in their blood, it's in their culture, it's in the way they think about what they do. Um, a useful tool for family and learner engagement. Do you feel that staff view it as a tool for engagement? Some. Yeah, and each of these has a part. I mean, it's a very broad spectrum, but we're definitely here to talk about how do we support staff and ourselves in creating environments that will help us increase 
um, the quality of our documentation and engagement with families. So, um, as you can see with your thing, you have a lot of opportunity over the course of our conversations today with me and with each other to document your thoughts and ideas. There is no wrong answer. We are going to have build frameworks for you to take back so that way you have conversations with your staff in the upcoming months, in the upcoming school year. That way you set the higher standard. That way you set the mentoring and the goals for your staff and your program so that way you can demonstrate to families and communicate about what you all communally value and what you find to be important about the learning experiences that are occurring in your program. So um, the first part, and we, it'll go chronological as you go through, um, we have documentation is the practice of visualizing listening. When we visualize listening, when we take our listening skills, we hear what's going on in the classroom, and we can make it visual. We can have a profound impact on families. I've had the opportunity to ask families directly as part of early intervention services, and um, in my current role as a researcher for my program, what do you find most valuable in the program? And I'll tell you there are two answers, and this is over, over a decade of asking parents very specifically, what do you find most valuable about their experiences? Are they learning? And are they in healthy relationships with staff? Hands down. It, it, they, they could say specifics. They could say, I want them to know their letters. I want them to know their numbers. But what they really want to know, is my child learning in your program? And does my child have happy, healthy relationships with the care staff that you are guiding? And without a doubt, when we can make the learning part visual, when they can see the engagement and the excitement, when they can engage in their child's learning when they're away from you, when their child is with you and they are away, and they come back and they can have that visual presence of what their child is doing that is learning, more so than seeing a completed worksheet, more so than seeing something that you cut out that other children colored. We, we're moving beyond that, and we know that. We, we already try to practice that as much as possible, but now what we're talking about is representing it in a greater form. And I brought up this example because I really love what it did here. And it's gotten a little bit exploded, but the title of this was Pink Flowers, An Invitation to Paint. And this was from a Reggio-inspired classroom. And each of these artifacts is the child's actual production, which we're very good at putting what children produce up on walls. Um, but then she also made sure to pair it with a picture of the child producing that item. So looking at that learning process. And you can see the variety that she picked out of all of the children in her classroom. And each of these, again, being blown up, it doesn't um, give as much scale. Each of these are pull quotes from the children. These are quotes directly of the children's words describing their learning. It's not saying that I drew pink flowers. It's about their experience, the emotions, the process, the how. Because when we are documenting those next two blanks, we're talking about the how and the what that makes learning visible. And I really like this. And it's a multi-age classroom. And I think that's also neat when you have that opportunity to have the children working together across age groups to some extent. So here, I don't do a lot of reading aloud, but I thought this quote is really important. What we are interested in is precisely an attempt to see this process 
and to understand how the construction of doing, thinking, and knowing takes place, as well as what sort of influences or modifications can occur in these processes. And this is from an atelierista in a Reggio skill. And the atelieristas, if you're not familiar with Reggio, these are the um, artistic teachers who come in and mentor and work with children in classrooms to provide the artistic element, the artistic interpretation of their process and their work. And um, in particular, this higher order level of guiding discovery and documenting discovery does come from the Reggio um, tradition. And it has become infused in American tradition. American preschools and, and um, education um, for early childhood has become highly influenced by Reggio over the last two decades in particular. And we continue to be that to the point where there, there are the, the programs that are truly Reggio, and then you have other preschool classrooms that look Reggio because that's what we have adopted as best practices. In many cases, it has become more uniform across classrooms. So you can take a minute to think about this. And the next thing I want you to do is to consider your own program. We're going to do a program check-in. And it's the boxes at the bottom. Think about the types of documentation that you're asking your program to collect, your staff, yourself. And that's the first column. How does that document, documentation visualize learning in your program? And who does that documentation benefit? Feel free to talk a little bit if you're sitting next to a program member. Reflect on and think about at least two types of documentation that you're collecting in your program. You may be doing it formally as part of a process or a procedure that you have. You may be doing it informally. Um, but take a moment to think.
It's amazing how when we connect and make eye contact with the natural glaciers smile. I love it. Jot down some last thoughts, and then we'll do a share out. Beginning of the year, at the beginning of the year. But it usually takes me about a month to figure out where everybody is. Easy. And, and then, yeah, if they're a returning student, then you're definitely in an issue. Certainly. Okay. You want to wrap up your conversation, and we'll do some sharing. So. What kind of documentation are we collecting right now? We are like um, a right here, a private school. Mm -hmm. So we do uh, a lot of like taking pictures and like writing learning stories. Okay. So uh, that's the type of documentation we usually do. And uh, it's like, I think those are the best kind of documentation, in my view. It's your philosophy. It's your yes. professional philosophy. Yes. You're allowed to have one of those. It's excellent. It's like, uh, if uh, the pictures are taken and they are in the classroom, then uh, the children like take the quality of that learning as well. So for the visualization part, it's just like a good practice because then the kids always go back to that learning as well because they see that, okay, yeah, I'm in that picture, so I'm learning something. And what does the documentation benefit? It benefits both ways. It helps the parents see what the, the children are learning at school. Secondly, it benefits the teacher to see whether it was a, a success or if the kids have uh, mastered that uh, particular thing that she's trying to teach them, mm -hmm. or it was a flop, or she has to like do something else to just have them master that concept. Change it around. Absolutely. And then you already had mentioned the children remember what they were learning. They get that constant reminder of where we were in our learning process. Um, and they get to see themselves grow, and that's important. Um, let's see, we also have learning stories, but I'm gonna get some other feedback. What other kind of documentation are we collecting in our programs? Photos are very popular, and they become easier with more digital. Um, student evaluations, just for our pre-K class, that's done throughout the year, three times a year. Okay. Which is, um, you know, it's, we found it's a good communication starter Are you using a particular protocol? Are you using like, uh, or do you use something internal? Internal. Internal. Okay. Just with Head Start, we have to do three times a year. We have to use something that's research-based. We use Brigantz usually in my program, but I've seen the Denver and some other uh, um, options. But you do that initial student evaluation to get to know the child. And then you do, like I said, you know, midway is important. 
Um, Brigantz is one of the research-based developmental scales. It's a quick, um, I would say it's a quick screening tool. It's not necessarily an in-depth um, evaluation tool that will give you a comprehensive view, but it'll give you a quick check-in on the um, various domains. And um, with Head Start, we have to do that for our federal grants to set that baseline, and then we have to do the, um, we later do in our check-ins with a different program. Uh, but definitely. What you use is similar to what, I mean, we kind of compiled a lot of different ones. So right. And, and I would expect that, especially uh, in, in the archdiocese, I would expect to see some hybrids based on experiences within programs and because you have, you're not necessarily under a federal grant like I am, <laughs> where it's more defined. Probably not itself. I, I would imagine each individual program has probably found what works for them in their community right. necessarily. In your school district as well as your Catholic school sometimes and, and you're trying to... Absolutely. If you're having partnerships, if you have a partnerships with your local school district in any form or fashion, they may actually also guide that. Um, and as well as the state of Texas is beginning to develop more tools, the Children's Learning Institute, if you're familiar with them, is starting to put out a lot of tools for um, infant and toddler right now, and they do pre-K um, is, is their core. What did you say that Children's Learning Institute? Excellent. And so what we're doing is we just did the training and then now they're sending us the assessment tools. Mm -hmm. We'll start training our teachers and then doing that form of assessment. Wonderful. And sharing it like out within our community so that they can start like, listening <coughs> to it. Beautiful. Um, and one of the cool things about like their evaluation tools is that it gives teachers a language to loan to parents to identify what they observe. Um, and that's the thing that I like. And so it gives the appropriate language. So I'm also a parent at my school. Mm -hmm. um, and there's things that I notice about my own child's milestone, things that I, I want to work on. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, it gives me the appropriate objective language to have that conversation without saying, you know, so I know she's brilliant, but you know, <laughs> it gives you the right, like, okay, so we're working on these things at home. And it right. gives you a mirrored image to work with your teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so it loans that appropriate language. So the circle um, evaluations that she's talking about, they're, they're really sweet. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say a brief bit about that. Um, just because I didn't come prepared to talk about it, I think... Find her, ask her about her Circle um, experience. Circle um, has training programs for teachers. I will tell you right now that it is high quality. It's developed here in Houston, and it is free 99. Everybody loves something that ends in 99 cents? It is free 99. And it, is, um, it has a discrete framework for measuring discrete skills. So if you want to have an inventory of a child's letter and alphabet knowledge, you want to have their numeric knowledge, you want to have something that aligns with a standardized assessment of a child's um, developmental span, they're doing that. And they're giving it away for free. Circle? Circle. You're going to find it under CLI Engage is their newest iteration of the name. They are just rolling out their infant toddler. They have a strong pre-K element, and they have previously run programs through Texas State that train teachers in literacy instruction. 
But do you get it through the Children's Learning Institute? Yeah. You children's Learning Institute. If you look up CLI Engage, Children's Learning, CLI is short for Children's Learning Institute. CLI Engage is the current um, name of the program. And this is a program that they have done for quite some time. It was previously called M-Class way back. <laughs> and I've had to compile some of that data. Um, probably in the early 2000s, it was M-Class. They've expanded it. It is all research-based, if that's a... Um, an element of your program. It does have discrete cell sets. It also has online training modules for teachers about child development, about best practices in classroom. So that's a little nugget that came out of the middle of nowhere, and I'm so glad we have someone in here who has participated. Um, so definitely connect um, to get more information, especially about how your program may be eligible and be able to collaborate with them but um, they're expanding their services all the time. And it meets that student evaluation piece and that periodic assessment piece that your program may need for their requirements. So we've got photos, learning stories, sort of discrete evaluations. What other documentation? Work samples. Work samples. Work samples, so we're taking the actual product. Um, what other types of documentation are we taking? Anecdotal notes. For anecdotal notes. When I usually do this training with teachers, that's what we focus on, is how do you write a good anecdotal note that actually communicates? So if you want to know more about that at any point in time, I do do a training on just writing anecdotal notes. Because the art of writing an anecdotal note comes with writing and writing and writing and writing and having somebody being open to critique. I mean, that's a, that's a big component of what we're going to be talking about, too. We have to be open to feedback when we're talking about children, because we want our children open to feedback. We want our staff open to feedback. We want to get feedback from our staff and our children about how we're doing as administrators in our programs. Are we meeting the needs? So, let's see. But uh, now, um, and we know there are many other types of documentation. I heard a couple of others going on. But what we're really looking at, that documenting is a discovery process. I am going to listen to what's going on in my classroom. I'm going to listen to what's going on with my teachers if I'm a program staff. I'm going to observe what's going on. And then I'm going to start recording like crazy. I'm going to start documenting, and I'm going to use so many of these methods. And these methods are as good for children as they are for our teachers. Remember that when you're guiding and you're mentoring your teachers, as you're looking at professional development, learning stories are powerful tools for reflection with teaching staff. Having teachers articulate what they have learned because when you're going from the, especially if you have an extended day program where you're doing a, a hybrid of daycare and a quality preschool curriculum, you don't have a lot of time to breathe. And in an infant-toddler room, you, you have less time to breathe. The oxygen is, is gone because you're constantly going and you're meeting you know, your requirements for childcare licensing and, and things like that. You have to constantly be on alert. And so giving your staff time to pause, reflect, and talk about what's working and what's not, making the space for those conversations in our programs for what worked. Tell me how you learned about not this child, about what you did, what process did you use, 
that worked or didn't work, we, 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 uh, we hit into that a little bit. We have to be open to that reflective piece. We have to be open to asking for feedback and giving feedback. And at a program level, we're the ones who set that tone. We create that safe space for those conversations. And we can guide and lead our other program staff with us to create not a punitive space, but a collaborative space. Despite all challenges we might have to managing particular staff members, we have the opportunity to set the cultural tone, that we are a collaborative environment, that we are open in a bi-directional, multi-directional way. With, it's not just a matter that parents come in and tell us what they think about us, but we open the conversation to staff and we talk about how are we doing as a culture, as a program, how are we promoting our values, how are we engaging learning, both as professionals and for the children that we serve. So we get into that part, those conversations, our interpretation. We have teachers doing that when they're looking at their lesson plans, figuring out, did that lesson work? Did I actually, are the children learning what I anticipated they were going to learn? And we have those at a program level too. Are my staff engaging in the learning process with the children in a way that is promoting the children's growth and learning? Or are we just following our curriculum? Are we just going by what's on the board? How does large group look? Is it rote? Is it the same thing every day? Is it teacher-led or is it child-led? All of those conversations that start leading towards quality about who owns the classroom. We talked about that. Children who are authentically owning their classroom and their learning can be leading a classroom. I've had three and four-year-olds running my classroom by the end of the school year and telling me to sit down. <laughs> no, Miss Alana, that's my turn. I run song time. It's my turn to go check the weather. And when we checked the weather, it wasn't just a, is it sunny, is it cloudy? We looked at thermometers. We talked about all of our other words. We had to enter it in a log. And we created diaries and things like that. And the children by the end of the year, my threes and my fours, they knew their part. They could select those jobs. They had agency in my classrooms. And that's because I trusted them to have agency in my classrooms, and I was able to give them that opportunity to do that. So you guys are amazing because you're making me go places with this that I didn't think I was going to go to. So we're going to take a break of me talking, because I told you I don't usually talk this much. And we're going to let you listen to some program directors um, talk about what it is to actually tackle data collection. Big go for data. It's something that we weave in and that we 
learn what are the tools that we can manage while we're still facilitating positive interactions, while we're still problem solving with children, while we're still supervising. That is what's important to me, is that forethought that goes into it, is it really takes planning, and when it has that forethought of planning, whether it's digesting data that was taken the week before and deciding how does that look within your plan for that week or that month, or whether it's figuring out where do we need to collect evidence. And evidence doesn't always have to be on paper. Sometimes it's having conversations with staff members that are targeted conversations that we all look for certain things during the day. Or it's an ongoing journal that's part of the classroom environment, so it's not a big deal to staff anymore. It's part of what we do in our daily fluent routine. You have to find a system that works for your individual classroom. Develop a system with your code team. But the most important thing is having an understanding of the child outcomes frameworks, your assessment tools, and then how you're going to implement it. Use those to plan for your children because you, you know your children and you know what they need to move them along so that they're prepared for kindergarten. So the cycle starts where the data is collected from a certain time period, and then we go back and we do another parent conference. With the parent conference, we look at the goals, we update the goals, and more importantly, we look at the child's progress on where the child has gone in the last few um, months. We look at the observations that have been collected, the portfolio work, and use all the knowledge that we have about what the child's been doing in the classroom as well as what the parent has observed at home to come up with kind of a new summary of the development of the child and develop new strategies for working with the child at home in school until the next data collection happens in our ongoing assessment. On our lesson plan, besides the overall general activities for the classroom, we also look at the needs of individual children and of course their goals. Um, the goals that were set from the conferences or from the observations or from the children's IEP goals. And based on what the goals are and what the needs are, we would target the activity to make sure that we include that in activities so that would help them strengthen those needs. We're really doing this for our families also, especially our children. And I know that there is a lot of challenges with the paperwork. I think for us to really hang in here is really to, to remember why we're here, especially for our children and our families. And that's the reason why we have so much documentation because we want to make sure that we are heading the right direction. Intentional teaching is challenging without getting good documentation on children's progress and really knowing where the child is. We cannot do intentional and it takes time to get an understanding so that you, this comes easier. Because intentional teaching is just that, intentional. It's not necessarily <laughs> what we're used to doing. Um, it's how you talk with the children. You're asking specific questions and doing a lot more scaffolding than in other ways that we used to work with children where we were focusing more on them being involved in an activity and socializing get best quality data to plan terrific intentional teaching for our kids to get ready for kindergarten and be very successful 
past the <laughs> and beyond. I love it when we have the opportunity to get a pat back from a national research association. This is from the National Teach um, Center for Quality Teaching and Learning. If you're not familiar with that, um, you can write down this acronym that's up here still, NCQTL. Um, it's a core of our Head Start trainings, but it has fantastic <laughs> sessions on varying elements for professional development. Um, this in particular, I love this one because it really does speak to us as program managers about that challenge of creating a system and a culture for data that is not just collecting data and having volumes of data, but really having decision-making opportunities and to have learning opportunities with our professional staff and bringing children and families to that as well. Um, already, through this, we've already talked about, we've talked about the importance of parent conferences and parent input. We've talked about the ability to share information with parents. And um, our friend who has stepped out <coughs> you know, as a parent, I go through that as well. I have the fortune of um, my um, son attends a very small Mother's Day Out program. They currently only have five children across two classrooms. As a early childhood professional, I'll tell you, it is phenomenal. And this happens to be, it's part of their ministry. It's part of their ministry that they decided to have a very small program. And I take advantage of that every morning. I probably spend a half an hour in conversation with both the director and her daughter, who is one of the teachers and is a mother herself. And we talk about the social emotional health of my son and how he's growing, how he's developing, because he's three years old, <laughs> just about. And he is an amazing little fire spark, we'll say. Um, but he's a very determined child. And um, he's a very willful child. And he is um, a verbal child. And he's an energetic child. And you know these children, because um, every child has elements of these. But I get the opportunity to really talk to them in depth about his well-being. And through those conversations about his well-being, we get to talk about his learning. And so I take advantage of that um, because we know those parent connections provide value to us and we get to talk about learning. And so since I put it in a social emotional context with his parents, what we end up talking more is about the learning process. I know she's doing a letter of the week. That happens to be the model that they do. I mentor and I coach very vaguely around things like letter of the week and shape of the week and we know, we know um, where we really want teaching to go. And I don't mind that because I'm comfortable with the experiences that he's receiving and the experiences that I provide at home for him. I have that knowledge and I have that confidence in providing that. But what we do is we have conversations and talk context around his social emotional well-being about how is he learning? How is he becoming a learner with you? And they can speak very powerfully to that because they speak very powerfully about relationship building. And they know that the <coughs> learning comes in relationships. So having those, taking those time for conversations is um, with the parents can provide some great details. And um, the, underneath the cycle, you'll see the five features of documentation is discovery. The video basically touches on each of those. That's just there for your reference later when you walk away from here and you stuff this in with everything else and you come back to it and you go, what did I really, what did I really want to know out of this? But at your table, I want you to collaborate and decide on what some of the benefits for documenting discovery. Discover Documenting the learning process, not just the discrete knowledge items, 
what benefits are there for each of those three categories? So it's an opportunity to talk, relax at your table, connect, and deflate a little bit. I guess some light. Oh, we're doing good for time. Yeah. 
And it depends on the resilience of our community that we're serving. Uh, some of our communities are more resilient. When they get back around to Monday, you get the same child that you had at the end of the week. And sometimes in other communities, and definitely the communities I serve, 
some, we know there are children who come in who start the crisis all over again on Monday because they have had difficulties. They're not as necessarily resilient. We are their resilience. We're their family resilience. I mean, with Head Start, since, you know, we are, <laughs> at the more political level, we are the family ministry. We are there for families. We are health and human services. We're not Department of Education, and that's for a reason. And I, I speak very strongly to that in my organization as far as that family connection, it becomes the wherewithal, you know, and how do we connect with those families and really get to a common understanding of you know, giving them the knowledge that they need so they can feel like they're confidently making decisions because it's not joyful for them to pick up a child in distress. It's not joyful for them to hear that their child is distressed every day. They want joy. They just don't know how. And they rely on whatever systems that they've had in the past, whatever's been passed on to them, whatever's been messaging, whatever their experiences were prior to meeting us. We, go, we have to come in with new messaging that isn't necessarily the same messaging. And so we, we have an uphill battle sometimes of really bringing people together. And sometimes that requires us to move a lot more this way than we want to, just trying to get them moving back towards the middle. It's a challenge. And it takes up so much of our time as administrators. It, absolutely. I've been a director and a parent, just a director parent and mom in the Make sure you're documenting some of the benefits that you're talking about. Even write down challenges. You guys have talked about a lot of challenges. Make sure to write down something so you've got some of your thoughts captured. You guys had a good conversation. Make sure to jot yourself some notes about these conversations that you're having. I'm hearing fascinating conversations about benefits and challenges. We don't always look at our conference paperwork, but I try to give a tool where you'll want to go back and look at it. The only right answers are the ones that work for your program, but these are some kernels, some truths that come out um, if you need some ideas or some things to take back with you. Um, just as you're wrapping up your thoughts about the challenges and benefits, the really documenting learning, whether it's social-emotional growth, whether it's your academic curriculum, whether it's your social-emotional curriculum, definitely feel free to snap a shot. I love that about smartphones. I don't have a phone. I have a personal handheld computer. I love it.
I ignore my phone on my personal handheld computer more than I compute. And I never thought I would see that. If you flip over your page, and we have about 10 minutes left, so I just want to spend five minutes. Um, well, actually, I'm going to run you through the rest of your packet really quick. We are going to go through the next activity, which is for you to reflect again at your table about your role as a program director in facilitating documentation of learning and what your expectations of the role for your educators is about collecting and documenting learning. So we're going to do that. We are not going to do the activity at the bottom, but that's an activity you can take back and do with your staff. And what it's called is sketching an exhibition. It's a great way to talk with your staff about what could we do to facilitate visualizing learning. How can we change the halls and our classrooms? Um, open house nights are coming. Um, community days are coming. Um, festivals are coming. So how can you turn your space into a public display of the learning that is going on? There's actually an entire framework in your packet about how to do this activity. So do feel free to put that in your in your toolkit. I also have given you two other tools before we go and reflect on our roles. Um, there's one that's called Looking at Documentation Protocol 1. That is a way of br having your staff bring documentation and having a reflective element to say a staff development meeting, how often you meet, if you do act, um, staff development days. It's an opportunity and a framework to actually systematically look at documentation, open up for critique, open up for sharing as much as critique, and having collaborative conversations about what do we want to achieve, what do we want to know, and how do we as professionals want to fulfill our philosophies, our culture, and our values. So it's another framework that you can use in your meetings with staff, or if you're working one-on-one -on -one with a staff member who's perhaps struggling, or is a top performer and you really want to take them to the next level. Reflection meets all levels. So that is there for you as well. And the final thing that I gave you, because it's always nice when you come here as a director or a program manager, to have something you can give your staff. And the very last page is some thoughtful questions that you are, are very staff friendly about what do we do about documentation that makes learning visible. So this is your practical tool. It is the thing that you could just actually hand out at your staff meeting, but you don't do that because you're going to create learning opportunities, like the first two activities I sent you. But this is a really nice reminder, and you can make this a part of that. Um, everything has the source on the bottom. You can go find these online. These are some of my favorite sources. Um, this is coming out of Harvard, and it came out um, towards the beginning of the decade, if not the last decade. My decades start to blur together anymore. And um, so it's relevant. It's timely. It's mostly seated in Reggio. Um, which you have, <laughs> Reggio-inspired. 
elements. And like I said, almost every modern preschool in America has some level of Reggio, whether they say they're doing it or not, because it's become the influencing factor of American preschool systems. So that was the rest of your walkthrough for your packet. But what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the page Ta -da! that has the rule of a program director and the rule of your educators. And we'll spend about five minutes um, with the opportunity to talk with your colleagues because we don't get that very often either, do we? We're, we're sitting at our sites. We maybe get those opportunities for our coffee sometimes or somebody puts together a large-scale meeting. We don't necessarily get this prolonged time together. So do take the time to speak with your colleagues about what they're doing and, and how they're doing it and what you believe your role is. Your, this is your professional philosophy and what kind of professional philosophy you want your educators to have as well towards documenting learning and making learning the central message of your organization. So do that. I will check in with you in a couple of minutes, and we're going to get you out at 11, so that way you can hustle to your next session in a non-hustling manner.